0: We're well into that dark time of year now. You noticed, 4 o'clock, that sun's getting pretty low on the horizon. 4.30, it's practically nighttime. And people start getting seasonal affective disorder this time of year. They say, take a little extra vitamin D, maybe get one of those sunlight bulbs for your house to kind of help fight that a bit. And if you can, a trip to somewhere warmer and brighter also sure is nice. Well, yeah. We need light. It boosts our spirits. It helps us see. How many of you have experienced that decreasing night vision? I know I used to see real well in the dark. Not so much now. I've been to restaurants with some of you. I've seen you using your phone with a you know, flashlight when you're trying to read the menu. We depend very heavily on our sense of vision. But for that, we need light. And because it's that critical for us, light and darkness become their own image, even appearing at various points in the Bible. Light is associated with goodness. It helps us see, and it's likened to knowledge or being associated with righteousness, things that are good. The dark is associated with wickedness, foolishness, being unable to discern and being evil. And it's such a natural image for us. We don't really need it explained as a matter of fact when we're reading through the Bible or any place else where these images appear, we take it just as though it's second nature. Oh, light, good, dark, bad, got it. Next. I mean, it's just that easy for us. Now, the Gospel of John opens with the arrival of Christ in a very different way from the other Gospels. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is kind of the man of mystery, so he just pops onto the scene. In Matthew and Luke, they're giving a little more of a historical account, so uh, they talk about Jesus' family and the surrounding events of his birth. Here's how it happened. But in John, John is poetic. He doesn't point us to physical events or historical events. He points us to Jesus' true nature. And to do that, he uses that image of light and dark. And he does it in such a way that even as we read it, we realize, realize, man, this is deep. But it's also easy to understand. When you read it, you think, okay, I got it. And then somebody says, well, what's it mean? And you're like, uh, you know how you know, but sometimes it's hard to explain. That's how this first chapter of John goes when he is introducing Jesus to us. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said... He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Here in a few verses, John sums up the story of Christ. In a fairly short passage, we get an understanding of who Jesus is and why he came. It's not just, oh, here's what happened when he was born. When John opens his gospel, he wants us to know, here's who he is. He reveals the true nature of Jesus. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't reveal it bit by bit. He doesn't put it off for kind of a big climax in the gospel, us wondering what's going on. John puts it up front. Jesus is divine. Friends, Jesus did not come into being at Christmas. He is not a created being like the angels. That was one of the early heresies of the church. Hey, you know, people were saying, well, we think Jesus was created. The man who we recognize as St. Nicholas, tradition holds that uh, that annoyed him to the point where he just plunked the guy right in the nose. I mean, how how bad you got to be for Santa Claus to throw you a whooping? (laughs) Yeah, Santa likes milk and cookies, but he hands out knuckle sandwiches. Arius was on the naughty list. No, Jesus is himself eternal like the Father, of the same nature, the same essence. John is telling us at the very beginning the Son, like the Father and like the Spirit, he has always been. And that makes his coming that much more amazing. You see, he was not a human who was promoted for doing good. God did not look down from heaven and say, Wow, I like this Jesus' style. This love your neighbor stuff. I'm digging it. I'm promoting you to son of God. No! No! Jesus is God himself taking human flesh, living an actual full human life. Imagine the downgrade that that was. For the only time in all of history, God had limits. He got tired. He got hungry. Presumably, he got sick. Yes, he could heal sickness, but no you know, the Bible doesn't talk about it, but I, may, I imagine Jesus had the sniffles. The Lord of all creation got to experience a splinter. You know, he, he, he was a carpenter. He knew what it was like to miss the nail. And get your thumb. Yeah, there's a, I see a few of you. Ah! Yeah. Been there, done that, got the black and blue nail. Yeah. God did that. He was no glorified human with foibles like you might remember from your Greek mythology days in school. You know where you had all the different kinds of gods. You had like the dutiful god, you know Hephaestus, who was always working in the forge. You had party gods, and then you had Zeus, who just really, really needed therapy. (laughs) They were—they looked at their gods like they were glorified humans, not magnified, not just in their power, but in their quirks. Oh, Jesus was not that. This is the perfect divine being, fully immortal in every way, choosing to live as one of us. I just wonder how that conversation went in heaven. He lived here. He was the agent of creation, but the world he created didn't know him. Now the things we create tend to reflect a little bit of their creator, don't they? Artists are always expressed in their art. A painter, their stuff's all going to look pretty similar. It's going going to have the hallmarks of the painter. A, a singer, all of their music's going to sound kind of like that singer. Those of you who work with wood, the, you know the things that you make are going to be a little bit you. You work on cars? Yeah, you're in there because you know, you can't work on a car without shedding blood on something. You know, At some point, you're going to whack your knuckles. You're in it. It reflects you. And Jesus is the agent of all that exists. Everything was created through him. Yet the creation did not know him. That's weird. It's a result of the fall. We humans, created by God to live in harmony with him, we sinned. We are no longer able to know him. That close relationship of Adam and Eve walking in the Garden of Eden with God, can you even imagine what that might have been like? I tried. I got nothing. I mean, my brain just starts throwing up error messages. No. We're too far from God. We're too fallen, too sinful. But this is why Jesus came. So we could know God. Living here, humanity could see God's glory as had not been seen since the Garden of Eden. There have been exactly two humans who know what that closeness with God was like. but yet since Jesus coming we've been able to recapture a bit of it everything Jesus did was to put God's glory on display for humanity even at the last supper the disciples oh just show us God the father that'll be enough for us and Jesus says to them paraphrased you dummy i've been doing it you know me you know him Jesus has that kind of oneness with the Father. That if you know Christ, you know the Father. If you see him, you've seen God. He had a mission to be God's light to us, to show what we could have never known without him, to do what we could never do. You see, Jesus didn't make knowing God easier. Jesus made it possible. He didn't make... Coming to God easier, he made it a possibility. He didn't make it simpler for us to be forgiven, he made it so that it could happen at all. He's that important. See, John, here at the opening of his gospel, he doesn't just want us to marvel at the coming of Christ. He wants us to marvel at the nature, at the work of Jesus. He wants us to be overwhelmed with what God did through his son. Because the coming of Christ had a tremendous result. He also points out here in this introduction what Jesus did. It's not enough that he is in his very nature God. It's not enough that he is the very agent of creation. It's not even enough that he came to show us the Father. I mean, any one of those would be pretty impressive. Any two of them would be amazing. But as we've seen on the TV, the Lord says, but wait, there's more. He still had a significant task to perform. He came that we might be children of God. Not just the people of God, but his very family. Not just cousins of God, or nephews of God, or nieces of God, or third cousin twice removed of God. Know that we might be his children. You see, the light came into the world not just to illuminate right from wrong, but to deal with the wrong we have done. Light's an amazing thing because it doesn't just show us. You get the right wavelengths or the right power, you can do some amazing stuff with light. You can sanitize with light. You remember those UV black lights? You know, you children of the 60s, I know you know what those are. You know, the things you used while listening to Pink Floyd? Funny thing, there was actually one of these uh, tech conferences for folks who were into those NFTs, the non-fungible token, those, basically the people who pay for a digital thing that they can't actually hold. You know, we're not dealing with the best folks out there here. They had a conference, and then after the conference, a lot of folks started getting weird rashes. Turned out that the black lights that they had in the place weren't just black lights. They were the UV sterilization lights like you'd use for medical purposes. Oh, yeah. They're going to need some dermatologist visits in a few years. You can also use light to do things like weld, laser welding. Friends, light doesn't just illuminate. Light does something. And Jesus came not just to show us what was right. He came to deal with the wrong we had done. He didn't just come to show us, now here's what you ought to be doing. He came to fix what we had done wrong. Now John doesn't make detailed mention of the crucifixion and resurrection here in this first chapter. He doesn't really have to. But he does point out that Jesus was rejected. His people were looking for a traditional king when they saw all the stuff about the Messiah. Oh, he's going to be the son of David. He's going to be a ruler. Well, they were wanting somebody to lead them to become a nation again. To call their own shots. Bring back the good old days. And so that's what they started thinking. They were looking for a traditional king, so they rejected him. But because he was rejected, because he was crucified, he became our sacrifice, the innocent for the guilty. There are some who think that well, when Jesus came, the people were supposed to receive him. They were supposed to believe in him. They were supposed to recognize him as the Messiah, and then his reign would have started on earth. It would have been great. We missed the opportunity. Uh, the people rejected him, so God had to go to plan B and came up with this idea of the church. Man, you could not be more wrong. I mean, if St. Nick was around today, he'd be putting on his knuckle dusters for that type of thing. No, friends, that rejection, that crucifixion, that was the point. Jesus' mission was one where he knew full well he was going to die. When he entered this world, when he took on the limitations of humanity, he wasn't just bearing the troubles of this world. Friends, he was going to experience the death that awaits us all. The eternal the infinite would become limited and would be killed. But this is why we can be the children of God, born of His will. Because our sin would be put away. Because God's mercy would be unleashed. That's why we can receive grace. The law pointed out punishments for our failures, and Christ took that into himself, so in him we find forgiveness and mercy. You see, God is a God of seeming contradiction. He is at the same time both wrathful and merciful. He is holy, he is loving. So our sin demanded punishment. But God wanted to have mercy on the sinner. So God in his mercy pours out his judgment on himself. And all these little rebel humans and find mercy this light came to earth and we can not only know God but by doing that by following him we become his children see when this child came to earth Jesus' primary mission wasn't to educate he was a teacher but that wasn't his main job to accomplish he did teach He did show people what God wanted. That's important, but it wasn't the most important thing he did. No, the most important thing, he came so that he could die and we would be forgiven and become God's children. Knowing that the eternal would die upon the cross and yet be raised to new life so we could look forward to an eternity with God instead of one apart from Him. Folks, we've been apart from God enough. We live in this life, we look around this world, we see a place and we think, man, this place messed up and getting worse all the time. But yet, friends, the day is coming. The day is coming when we will no longer be apart from God in any way, shape, or form. Yes, knowing is a wonderful thing. Having light is a tremendous help. But more important than any flashlight is the light of the world, the one who has come to redeem us and to save us. John's gospel has a goal. I love John. He's very upfront. He doesn't hide it. He comes out, tells you what he wants to accomplish. And you just kind of smile while he does it. His goal is that we might believe in Jesus. (coughs) His goal is for us to believe. Because when we believe, we receive those benefits he brought. We find that mercy. Mercy. We know God. We belong to God. Not figuratively. Not kinda. But completely. Truly, folks, if you're in Christ, you are not almost a child of God. You're not kind of a child of God. You are not in some little way, almost, somewhat, you can see it from there, a child of God. Friend, you are a fully, completely adopted, legal child of God. Not halfway. That's kind of impressive, isn't it? Friends, that's why we rejoice this time of year. The coming of Jesus made it possible to believe in him. His work brings great benefits when we believe in him. We get the spirit of God living in us. The infinite, again, living in the limited. Transforming us, shaping us so that We become what God has already declared us to be, his children. Oh, John is telling us this for a reason. He wrote this down because he wanted people to believe in Jesus, and you know what we still ought to do today with it? Same thing. We believe in Jesus. We look into that manger and we see the light of the world. We see the Word of God made flesh. We see the immortal, eternal one, the agent of all creation, here to remake us. So we've got to believe in Jesus. What do we do? Well, you make the statement. There's a lot of statements we can make that are true, but they're not quite the same. You look down at the carpet. You say, this carpet is red. Okay, fine. Fine. It's like saying the sky is blue, the sun rises in the east, whatever. Simple statement of fact. But if you say Jesus is Lord, I tell you, it's a simple statement of fact, but it hits different. Say, the carpet is red with me. Everybody agree, this carpet is red. That is a factual statement, right? It may be worn, it ain't... You know, great super shape anymore, but it's still red. Say it with me. The carpet is red. Anybody feel anything off of that? Nah, that's not moving the needle. But I tell you, there's another statement we can make that's also factual. Let's say together, Jesus is Lord. Say it with me. Jesus is his Lord. Anybody get the little shiver running down your back with that? Is that just me? I don't think it's just me. Because when you say that, when you acknowledge it, it is like you are tapping into some celestial truth of the universe. Nobody cares about the carpet. But when you say Jesus is Lord, you are acknowledging something amazing. Something incredible. Something that has power. Not that the statement has power, but the Lord has power. We are saying our belief. And when you say it, when you verbalize it, it hits you. Oh, I'm serious, aren't I? Say it again. Jesus is Lord. You feeling it? Yeah. Verbalizing it matters. A belief voiced is a belief that is strengthened. And you take the step. Why wait? What benefit do you get from not coming to him? What do we get by saying, ah, Jesus, not today? Are we waiting for him to throw in a toaster? That may not be a good idea in the baptistry, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Folks, the deal is as good as it's going to get. What do you get more than being being a child of God, having eternal life? Friends, if you believe, it is time. He calls us. He gives us a future of unlimited hope. He redeems us. Our sin is wiped away. And in this dirty, dark world, friends, we truly see the light. Stand with me, let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you do for us. We praise you for you have redeemed us in your son, Jesus. You have given us hope in him. Lord, draw us to you. Help us to keep this hope, this belief at the center. Not just the center of our Sundays, but friends, Lord, help it to be the center of our very existence. To shape everything we do.